Welcome to a very special Scripture on Creation. Stay tuned for the next half hour as Dr. Ben Scripture preaches from the Psalms. We're going to be considering Psalm 111 and possibly, although not likely, Psalm 113. But these Psalms are definitely worship Psalms. They're songs that were written to lead the Israelites, to lead God's people in worship of their great creator who reigns above all creation. The ministry that the Lord has graciously given me involves talking a lot about creation. And for the last almost a year now, maybe, maybe not quite that long, I've been preparing my radio programs, not totally, but as, as a routine on Psalms that touch on creation, that have a creation theme, or at least mention it in some fashion. And what we're going to be looking at as we look at Psalm 111, we're going to see a little section, a triad of Psalms that don't specifically begin, but almost begin the last book of Psalms. You know, we've got First and Second Kings, we've got First and Second Chronicles. It could have been that the Jews thought of the book of Psalms as 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th, and 5th Psalms because it's divided up into five books. And Psalm 107, turn, turn with me to Psalm 107. Hopefully most of you will see in the divisions of your Bible there, book five. How many of you got that? Good. So this is the fifth book, the final book of the Psalms. And book four really emphasized creation. Psalm after psalm in what is a relatively a short book of the psalms, I think 17 of them, a preponderance of them were about creation. The final book of psalms is a collection of mostly worship songs. And again then, because we have the theme of worship in so many of these psalms, often we'll see related to that references to creation. And this little triad of Psalms, Psalm 111, 112, and 113, I would call a little triad of hallelujah Psalms. At the very end of Psalm 104, it concludes with hallelujah. Now in our English, we have it saying praise the Lord, but that's the translation of the Hebrew word hallelujah. And we say that all the time. I don't know why more English Bibles don't just translate it hallelujah. We'd all get the point, right? But there aren't that many places in the Old Testament where hallelujah occurs. In fact, that Psalm 104 is the first place. But many, many times, comparatively then, in the final book of the Psalms, we have the word hallelujah. And so if you look at Psalm 111 now, notice that it begins with praise the Lord. Turn over to Psalm 112. What does it say? Praise the Lord. And Psalm 113 Praise the Lord. But then it also concludes Psalm 113 with praise the Lord. So that's why I sort of like to think of these actually three short little songs together as sort of the hallelujah choruses of the book of Psalms. We'll look at Psalm 111 this morning. Let's read it. Read along with me in whatever version you've got. Praise the Lord or hallelujah. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart in the company of the upright and in the assembly. Great are the works of the Lord. 
They are studied by all who delight in them. Splendid and majestic is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has made his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He has given food to those who fear him. He will remember his covenant forever. He has made known to his people the power of his works in giving them the heritage of the nations. The works of his hands are truth and justice. All his precepts are sure. They are upheld forever and ever. They are performed in truth and uprightness. He has sent his redemption to his people. He has ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. Now, maybe you noticed as we read that, that there was no specific reference to creation or God making something. But several times you notice that it said his works, his works are great. And I think what we should recognize is in the mind of the psalmist, in part, what he is thinking of when he talks about the works of God are his works in creation. But very often we also notice that in one part of the verse, it'll be talking about his works and maybe focus our thoughts on his work in creation. But then it goes on to talk about his character. And some of the work that he has done isn't just in creating stuff, but in doing things for mankind. And specifically, he has in mind the things that he has done for his people. So time and time again, we'll see this reference to God's work and then also a reference to his character. Of course, we see a lot about his character as we look at his work in creation. What does Romans tell us? Romans says that all you need to do is look at creation and you understand he's eternal You understand he's powerful. You understand he's majestic. But there are a lot of things that he's like that creation doesn't tell us. And so this psalm not only highlights his power, his work in creation, but it highlights his character in many, many other ways. And we'll be looking at those specific references as we go verse by verse through this great worship psalm. Verse 1, we don't know who wrote it. Many of the Psalms will tell us it's a song of Asaph or a Psalm of David or something like that. But this, we don't know specifically who wrote it. We may get to it a little later. You know what? My tendency is to think that Solomon wrote it. There are a couple of reasons that maybe we'll touch on as we get to it, but we don't know that. We don't know who wrote this, but it begins again with this praise, this Hebrew hallelujah sort of sets your mind to what's coming. And what does the psalmist then say? I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. This is one of the most important things that God wants of his people. And I think that it gets close to one of the greatest shortcomings, the most overarching sins of God's people. We know that God wants us to be thankful. When we read in the Old Testament, we find that God gets really ticked off when his people are complaining and not thankful. It's amazing. Why is it for some reason we tend to think that that's that's not that big a deal? You know, when we think of sins, we think of adultery, we think of stealing, we think of murder, we think of even of pride and things like this. But how often do we think of 
Sin as being ungrateful, not being thankful. God puts it in that category. The psalmist here is, might we say, delighting God's heart. Because he says, I will give thanks to the Lord, and not just for this or that. Wow, it was great that we had a wonderful meal, or that there's a wonderful meal prepared, which I hope is applicable to this morning. (laughs) But for all things, because he says, I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. You know, I think that that includes those things that we would like to be different. Those things that we can look at, and rightly so, you know, boy, I wish this was different in my life, or why is this happening, or why did not God do this for me, or or whatever it might be, you know, those places in our lives where we wish things were different, and yet the psalmist here is giving thanks to the Lord with all his heart. No little nooks or crannies that I reserve for, but I got this gripe here, or boy, I'd give God a piece of my mind if I could about this or that. You see, it's not just a New Testament principle where we are to give thanks in everything. That requires trust. That requires humility, allowing God to do what he's going to do and not insist on having our own way. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. And how does he do it? Certainly, an important part of our thanksgiving, our worship of God is a private, personal thing. And it's an important part of our worship life. But here the psalmist says he's going to do this in the company of the upright and in the assembly. What's the assembly? The assembly is the gathering together of the Lord's people. In public fashion, he's going to give thanks to the Lord. Does that tend, brothers and sisters, to be the focus of our conversation with one another? Or does it tend to be the other side of the coin and we tend to be talking more about the things that aren't going well? I'm not talking about not sharing our concerns, our needs with one another, but do we really make a point of sharing with one another the things that we have to be thankful for with one another? That is encouraging to one another. Let's be doing that, as the psalmist here does, amongst ourselves. Verse 2 says, great are the works of the Lord. And here I see especially a a sense of the psalmist thinking about, wow, look what the Lord did. They are great. Whether we're talking about him speaking light into existence out of nothing or stretching the heavens or causing the plants to grow, making cool animals like trumpet fish or aardvarks. Watched a movie the other night and and, uh, we saw an armadillo. Kara says, an armadillo, that's a, that's a possum with scales. Yeah, they're, they're goofy looking. They're almost like a big rat. And God had to have had a sense of humor when he made that thing. And if you poke it, it turns up into a little ball. You know, all these wonderful things that God has made. But listen to what it goes on to say. Great are the works of the Lord. They are studied by all who delight in them. What a fantastic thought. Speaking of the works of the Lord... They are studied by all who take delight in them. You know, I have the joy and privilege of doing a lot of that. I have the, the time and the wherewithal and just everything has worked out. The Lord has ordained for me to have the kind of time to be able to do that, to study his works. And I try to share that with people. But just for me personally, I mean, it is, it's a blast. It's wonderful. 
I, I can say with the psalmist, I delight in doing that. Finding things in the word of God, finding things in creation, and just, as it says, study them. But that word study has a broader sense than just, you know, bookwork. Mm, I got a test. How many of you like studying? Really studying. Betty likes studying. An A student right there, I'm sure. Now, Myra, come on, don't you like studying? She looks off and says, no. Hmm. Well, this kind of study is not the kind of study that we weary of. Another word that translates this Hebrew idea is ponder. So there's no test afterwards. Just ponder. Just think about them. Why did the Lord make a trumpet fish? I mean, that is a goofy looking fish. Why did the Lord make a platypus? With hair and it lays an egg and it's got a duck beak and it feeds its young milk and confounds the evolutionists because we used to think that duckbill platypus well, evolved somewhere around 15 million years ago and then oops they found some fossils that according to the evolutionists were a hundred million years old so suddenly we got to rewrite you know those trees with the branching relationships and we got to stick on a platypus way down here somewhere you know i think sometimes god makes these crazy critters just to confound the why and those who would try to convince themselves that there is no god this word ponder or study also is translated search or seek. Listen to this verse in Psalm 10:4. The wicked in the haughtiness of his countenance does not seek, does not search out, does not ponder, does not study him. All his thoughts are there is no God. Now just from purely a standard of living, just purely from a, a fulfilled life, look what the atheist, the one who just says, ah, even if there is a God, I can't know him, misses out on the delights of just considering the greatness of God. It reminds me of what Johann Kepler said. You know who Johann Kepler is? He is the father of astronomy way back in the 1700s. A great man of God. And he said that in his astronomical researches, he was merely thinking God's thoughts after him. He delighted in studying the creation because it made him sort of think, what was God thinking when he cast the stars into space, when he made planets go perfectly around the sun? You know, he understood that, that uh, you know, we don't get too close to the sun so it gets too hot. We don't get too far away from the sun so that everything freezes. It's this perfect little circular orbit thinking God's thoughts after him. That's what we have the opportunity to do when we ponder the works of God and delight in them. This verse 2 says, they are studied by all who delight in them. What? In the works of the Lord. Listen to what it says about Solomon. David was speaking to his son, warning him about his relationship with the Lord. And he says in 1 Chronicles 28, 9, As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father. David delighted in the Lord. And serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind. That could also be translated a delighting mind. This word that is translated delight in Psalm 111. Serve him with a whole heart and a mind that delights in him. 
For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every intent of the thoughts. If you seek Him, there's that word studied. If you ponder Him, if you search Him out, if you seek Him, He will let you find Him. That's sort of why I wonder if Solomon maybe didn't write this. You know, we often, and rightly so, think about what a great thing it was that Solomon wanted. Wisdom, so that he could rule God's people. But I can't help but wonder sometimes if maybe even a better thing for him to have asked was a heart that delighted in God. I think the wisdom part would have taken care of itself. But perhaps at some point on in his life, he didn't delight in the things of the Lord. He delighted in the things that wisdom brought. And he got a little full of himself. And isn't that what the wise of our world do? One of the biggest obstacles in coming to the Lord Jesus Christ is the intellect, is knowledge. I learned so much and I know so much. Oh, you Christians that believe this nonsense about God speaking and there was light. Him saying, let the earth bring forth and there's animals. Are you kidding me? Don't you know how much I know about where all this stuff really came from? And there is a colossal barrier for the wise, for the intelligentsia of our world to humble themselves and acknowledge that, you know, I don't really know so much. And aside from all of that, I need him because I am undone before him. So what happens? Well, the wise, the fool, isn't it funny? The world calls them wise. The word calls him a fool, says, there is no God, and I need not concern myself with him. What an interesting advice David gives Solomon. As for you, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and a mind that delights in him. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every intent of the thoughts. If you study, if you seek him, he will let you find him. Note the connection there between delighting in the Lord and seeking him. I would suggest that one results in the other, which again results in the other. I think it's a feedback loop. It keeps feeding on itself. You delight in the Lord and you seek him and you seek him and you delight in him more and he will reveal himself more and more to you. You, like Johann Kepler, will uh, think more and more of God's thoughts. Be more like Christ. So the psalmist says, great are the works of the Lord. They are studied. They are pondered. They are sought after. Searched out by all who delight in them. But the works of the Lord, the great works of the Lord, are not confined to just uh, His creative work. In fact, His greatest works are the works that He has performed on behalf of His people. His greatest work was Dying for us, redeeming us. That was his greatest work. And indeed, are those not studied by all those who delight in them as well? Many, many psalms were a rehearsal, a repetition of the works of God in redemption. Whole psalms just going through the history of Israel. And God told his people time and time again, remember what I did for you and bring you out with a strong hand out of Egypt. Remember, so there are many things to study, to ponder when we think about the great works of the Lord. And as we think about him, 
his power in creation and his marvelous work in redemption on our behalf. The psalmist then goes on to verse 3 and says, Splendid and majestic is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. Splendid and majestic. Such cool words just bubbling out. When I read those two words, it makes me think of the words of David in Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is thy name in all the earth, who has displayed thy splendor above the heavens. Splendid and majestic is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. So we see that here, the work of God is righteous, which causes us also to think about his dealings with man. We're going to find several places in these verses that the first line of the verse alludes to God's power and greatness, on one hand displayed in creation, but then secondly, the verse highlights his character traits like his compassion and his justice. How, do you, how does God balance those both out? He's compassionate and yet just. If he's just, he can't just sweep wrongdoing under the carpet. That's man's solution to stuff. Well, I'll just forget about it. And it never really gets forgotten, doesn't it? And it churns in there and a gripe is held. And No, God is just and he takes care of the wrongdoing. He punishes it. But his compassion is demonstrated to us in that he didn't punish unless we say, hey, I don't want Jesus to pay for my sin. I'll take it. He's willing to pour that judgment out on the Lord Jesus Christ and let him pay. Amazing, isn't it? The Lord is gracious and compassionate. Hear, hear. He has made his wonders to be remembered. We do remember as we look up into the heavens and give him the credit how fantastic it is what he's done. As we look at the the complexity of the things that he's made and go, wow. We remember those wonders. But the most wonderful wonder is the wonder that he loves me. Remember that song? The most wonderful wonder is that he, he died for me. What a work he has done for you and me. He takes care of us. Verse 5, he has given food to those who fear him. He will remember his covenant forever. This relates to God being faithful, both in his providential care as well as the promises that he has made to us. He fulfilled his promise to Noah. He fulfilled his promise to Abram. He fulfilled his promise to David. He fulfilled his promise through the Lord Jesus Christ of a new covenant in his blood. He reveals himself in creation and in his his fulfilling his word. Verse 7, look what it says. It says, The works of his hands are truth and justice. His precepts are sure. Verse 8, they are upheld forever and ever. They are performed in truth and uprightness. Verse 9, he has sent redemption to his people. He has ordained his covenant forever. He is faithful to the promises that he has made forever. Not just as long as we uphold our end of the bargain. Boy, if that were the case, God long ago could have just said, see ya. His wonders in his redemptive work mentioned there in verse 4. Think about the wonders that he showed in the flood and yet saving them. Or in his dealings with Joseph. Remember, Joseph was taken off to be a prisoner, no fault of his own. He was loyal, obedient, and what does he get for it? Prison. Well, the Lord remembered him. 
and did a great work through Joseph in the form of his demonstration that he controlled the weather, seven years of plenty, seven years of famine, and then the great deliverance of his people through who? Another man that, through whom he made a covenant, Moses, parting the Red Sea, feeding them manna, wonder after wonder, all part of his redemption of his people. Hezekiah, I mean, God displayed his wonders many times with his kings, but the great work in Hezekiah's life, destroying God's enemies, 180,000 Assyrians like that. And of course, the Lord Jesus. He has made his wonders to be remembered. Time and time again, we see the things that he has done. And it draws us to say with the psalmist, Hallelujah, great are the works of the Lord. And in the end, to say, wow, holy and awesome is his name. Holy and awesome is his name. What is that talking about? It's talking about his character. And part of his character is the Almighty, the one who speaks and things happen. (laughs) The idea of awesome obviously has been severely diminished in this current day. We use awesome for everything from hamburgers to video games. It's too bad. It's a great word. Perhaps another way to understand what it means is to recognize it means fearsome. It's the same word. And we can translate it fearsome if you want. Fearsome means woe, you know? (laughs) And when it says holy and fearsome is his name, it leads right into the precept of verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That statement is made several places in the Bible. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Because an understanding of God and His power and His absolute holy character puts us in the right frame of mind to recognize, one, there is reason to fear this holy, almighty God. Because I recognize who I am and what I have done. And how in the world can I say anything? How can I defend myself? How can I justify myself to Him? And that is where wisdom, that is the practical way of life, begins. Recognizing who God is, what He is, what He's like, and what I am, who I am and what I'm like. That is where it begins. That isn't where it ends, hopefully. It ends with an understanding of in spite of that and in spite of Him being true to His character, He has provided a way for me not only to just escape punishment, but be welcome in as a child, as a son or a daughter, forever. We may think, boy, I got plenty to complain about in this life. Well, you may have. But this life is a drop in the bucket. Not worthy to be compared with what God has provided. And so, he says, a good understanding of all those who do his commandments. His praises endure forever. Understanding these things results in following His ways. We know so much more than that psalmist knew about how God could be holy and awesome and still gracious and compassionate through His greatest work, far greater than any star maker speaking, stretching heaven into existence. Him paying for our sins. And through faith in His work, 
trusting and obeying, we have the opportunity to someday face to face, face to face, speak some Hebrew. Hallelujah. And to praise him forever. His praise endures forever. And those of us who are his children will have the privilege of doing that, the joy of doing that, of thanking him, of praising him, of hallelujah forever and ever. Make you smile? Good. Thanks for listening. We hope you've enjoyed the program. If you would like to hear this or past episodes of the program, you can listen to them on our free podcast, Scripture on Creation. If you have comments or questions you'd like Dr. Scripture to answer, contact him by calling 574-551-1524 or by sending an email to scripture at scriptureoncreation.org.